So this podcast has been on an unexpected hiatus when we got news that Rabbi Ari was ill and had to be admitted to the hospital. Bless God, he is out and on the path toward full recovery. In this episode, Pastor Danielle and Rabbi Ari reflect soberly on this and other life events. Pancreatitis, raising kids, and praising God for openings in our bodies. This week, on a rabbi and a pastor walked in. today um welcome to a rabbi and a pastor walked in that's what we're called right it's been a while yeah. it's been a while it's been since when did you go to scotland i went to scotland on may 1st got back on may 11th may 12th went to the hospital <laughs> got out of the hospital on july 2nd unbelievable so it's it's been since before scotland because we did this right before you left our right. last one and had technical difficulties, so we have to re-record that one. But today we thought we'd start at least with an introduction back to thanking God, blessing God that you are back in health, able to podcast again. Absolutely. Uh, um, the short story for listeners is that I had hemorrhagic pancreatitis, and um, gallstones inflamed my pancreas which set out proteases, which dissolve proteins in your gut. That's how you dissolve and eat them. And so it dissolved my uh, connections of my pancreatic arteries to the pancreas. And um, anyway, it took them a while to figure out how to get the bleeding stopped and how to fix everything in there. And I'm Crazy. a medical marvel. You are. Because I survived and nobody expected that to happen because this is a very difficult case. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I'm out now. This has been a... Five weeks since I've been out of rehab. I've uh, no four weeks that I've been home, and uh, and I've returned to my full weight. Amazing. I had lost twenty six pounds, and I'm pretty much in good shape. I have a lot of work to do to get back to full full speed, but. Uh, but you're on the way there. On the way there, and you can hear from my voice having been tracheotomied and intubated a whole bunch of times. All the things necessary for your survival. <clears throat> for Yeah, for a month and a half in the hospital. Um, and not just in the hospital, but like in the I mean, ICU. I yeah, mean, ER, ICU. Yeah. Open for scary. five days while well, they did four surgeries. Very scary. Yeah, very scary. Luckily, I remember none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my family, my wife and my four daughters, remember a lot of it. <laughs> they, like, I'm sure they remember all of it. All of it excruciatingly. Right. And... Um, uh, no, I, I I remember waking up in the hospital, but I I had been awake and aware in and out, but I just didn't have any contiguous memory. Right. So it wasn't like I woke up and all of a sudden go, where the hell am I? I had done that several times <laughs> before, yeah. but um, but uh, I woke up and then was just getting my body ready to go to rehab. So crazy, and you know on my end. You know, I had already been, we'd texted a little bit while you were in Scotland with the family yep. and seeing photos with uh, Joy and the girls. And we're just looking forward to you coming home. And the the week before you went in the hospital, we actually had several things planned. We had an event at the synagogue planned, and we had a Shabbat here planned at your home. That's and right. um, and we also had a interconnecting journeys, intersecting journeys reunion for our Israel tour that we had done together. So all of these things... Um, that we'd kind of, I had sort of like, oh, I haven't seen Ari for a while, but 
I know I'm going to get to see him and Joy and the girls at these times. And then all of it changed very suddenly. And I'm getting a text from your beautiful bride in the middle of the night saying, please pray. And after that, I think I was a wreck for like four days. Yeah, well, that's approximately how long my family was a wreck. At too. least, yeah. at least. Well, and then um, I just couldn't stand it. So, you know, went over and, and saw your, your wife and girls at the hospital. And we all just, you know, got a little teary together for, for a while. So on my end, I just want to say, um, thank God that you're back. And also, you know, what those moments where somebody you care about goes through something like that, you realize how much they matter to you. I'm deeply grateful for our friendship. Yes, and I am too. And I'm deeply grateful to my family for staying oh. with me through the hospital and to all the doctors and nurses who uh, who did their best to yeah. bring me back. So that was pretty amazing. If Kevin and I can raise our girls the way that you enjoy raised your girls with that kind of level of devotion and connectivity, I was like, that you have done something well. Now, we talked about this a little bit last time we met just to sort of ch hang out and chat, but one of the things the doctors, you know, attribute to your recovery was that you walk a lot, you take good care of yourself, you're very active. But I was noting to you that one of the other things that I noticed was how much personal investment and choices and uh, financial sacrifices and, and all of those things in between that you enjoy have made in order to have such beautiful relationships with your daughters, your adult daughters, which caused everyone to um, not just rally and be at the hospital, but be there sacrificially for this long haul of many, many weeks. And um, I just was really blessed to see that's not always true of families, and it's certainly not always true of clergy families, where kids, the kids who grow up either RKs or PKs, rabbi kids or pastor kids, don't always have good relationships with their parents afterwards, like all families. And spouses often go through a lot of challenges, but it was really, from the outside looking in, it was a really neat blessing to see how well you have lived your life as a parent and as a spouse, um, and just as a human being, to see so many people respond. So I know you don't like all of that because you feel <laughs> like it's braggy, but I also think it's important because we don't accidentally find ourselves able to rebound from different events like this. You worked hard physically, and so you were able to rebound a bit more easily than others. And you also did great work emotionally, relationally, spiritually, that allowed for um, beauty to break in um, in the midst of some tough seasons. So, Well, and you were talking about this and describing it in ways that I don't even see. First of all, I don't think of myself as being that great a parent. I did my best <laughs> job. And, and 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 despite what you said, it was a lot of accident. You know, well, sure. Making it up as I went and losing it sometimes, but mostly hanging on. But um, I've lived my life in, with a couple um, mottos, and one of them is you can either be right or you can be together. Mm, that's nice, yeah. And I advise people who are marrying each other is they really want to be right and win every argument. Right. And they might as well not get married. <laughs> No, because yeah, it's true. You know, you have to just learn how to lose, um, because sometimes you're going to or just learn how to disagree. Yeah, and that's true for congregations, also, isn't it? For yeah. rabbis and pastors, as we lead, we can be right, or the congregation can be right, or we can be together. Or we can be together. Right? There's um, lots of important theological differences and opinions, 
but are we going to divide over those opinions or do we want to stay in in the yeah. same community with one another so i've learned to just yeah there's a, there's a time when i'll say my piece right and if we're going down a rabbit hole or just going around and around in circles i'll stop yeah because it's just not important anymore there are other things that take over more important. So that's one of the things. And since every child disappoints a parent <laughs> at least once. And every parent disappoints a child. child yes. Yeah. Um, and, and you live through things that you never thought you'd live through. Right. Together. Um, and then the question is, what do you do? Right. And um, so I've tried. Even though I have a strong ritual life, very mm-hmm. rich ritual life. And even though our kids can do it, they don't all do it on their own, but they know how to do it. And if they're not in the mood, I don't force them. Right. So that if they come back to being in the mood, they do it of their own accord. You leave the door open. I leave the door open, right. And there have been lots of times that each one of them has checked out and decided not to do it. Sure. Which is actually, I think, an important part of the process, right? Because then they have to, then when they come back to it, it's their choice to come back to it. That's right? right. Yeah, That's so right. you don't have to, I, I mean, I think I re- appreciated very much growing up. I grew up in a Lutheran congregation, ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. It's a more progressive liberal congregation at the time and still today. And uh, my parents, traditionally in the, in the Lutheran church, you baptize infants. And my parents both chose to not baptize either myself or my sister as infants because they wanted us to make our own decision. And I, I appreciated that. I also felt really awkward as a tall, gangly 13-year-old standing by a tiny little baptismal font at that time and hanging my head over and getting it sprinkled on the top. Really? So it was not quite immersion. Um, but, no. But for me, it was so deeply meaningful because it wasn't normal. It felt weird, right? I'm like, I've never seen a grown-up do this. I'd only seen babies do it. Right. And so it was very much something I had to want to do. Because I, I, it kind of made me feel a little bit out of place. Would you have felt different had you been baptized before? I guess, first of all, the impetus would not have been there for you to affirm it at a certain, at a certain age. Right. I mean, that's what confirmation is, right? You're confirming your right. baptism when you get like a bar or bat mitzvah, but you do it sort of a coming to age and adulthood and saying, yes, I want to do this thing that my parents did for me. I'm affirming it. But I couldn't do confirmation because I, I wasn't baptized. So <laughs> there was nothing to, to affirm. take care of the baptism. So I did baptism and confirmation together. At the same time. Right. And when I was baptized, I was baptized, I was 13. Um, I had a nice dress on, right? My, my grandmother um, gave me a string of pearls, my grandparents did, to sort of commemorate that event. And my sister, who is two years younger than me, was also baptized on the same day, also looking nice, pretty with her string of pearls, and my father who hadn't been baptized in in the Lutheran church. And I think he had been part of a sect of Christianity that hadn't believed in that type of baptism either. So He was an Anabaptist. Right, something like that, right? So um so he so it was the three of us together that got baptized together, the only ones that day getting baptized. And I remember it it just being deeply meaningful. Absolutely. But all of that to say, um it I appreciated the opportunity to opt in. I liked making it my own. And I liked that my parents gave me that choice. And they used to say, listen, you don't have to believe in God, but we're all going to church together because that's what the family is doing. But you can believe what you need to believe. You can wrestle with all of these things. And I think I still, as a pastor, want to give my congregants 
um, that same opportunity. You don't have to believe to be here, but you are welcome, right, as you I are. I teach my bar mitzvah kids. Well, I used to teach my bar mitzvah kids. Um, <laughs> As part of the standard courses, they that they would, I would tell them they wouldn't believe everything in the book. Right. Nobody does. Right. And I told, and one of the exercises was to rewrite a couple of prayers that were hmm. randomly handed out. Everybody would do a couple of them the same, and then everybody else would get these other parts from the prayer book. And they couldn't use words they couldn't understand and they didn't agree with. Hmm. And they were forbidden to use words like God, which nobody can define. Got it. Or Got it? Got it. <laughs> Holy or blessed, because nobody can define them. Right. So that so that we call it Christianese, the Jewishese gets stripped away, right? This That's right. sort of holy language, we have to find real language. Right, all the it. blessing terms, mm -hmm. had to take those out. Couldn't use any of those. Okay. And if you wanted to, you had to substitute for it something that it meant to you. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the... Standard curriculum was how to rewrite the prayers on the fly. Hmm. Nice. I wish I'd had more time just to do that, you know, like for a month. Right. Make them really good at it. So yeah. So it's just you know, half an exercise in one day. Sure. You know, I don't know if uh, you've read Michener's uh, The Source, you know, sort of. Yep. Yeah. You remember there's that one scene. I don't remember because it was 50 years ago. It's a long time ago, the book. But, so there's one scene where uh, the kids are in rabbinic school, you know, sort of second temple period or a bit later, right, the time of the rabbis. And, um, and they say to the kids, okay, come and give us every argument why God is wrong to command you to not eat a lizard. Right. Or whatever it was that they're saying. That's, and the kids are like, but it says in, in the Torah, in Leviticus, like, of course we can't. No, 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 you have to come argue why God is wrong here. Why is God wrong? And it's okay for you to eat these. It's, an, it's okay for you to eat it. And the dietary laws are wrong. So the kids go and they come back with their arguments. And then they're like, no, of course you can't eat these things. Like now go and argue every reason why you have to, you, that God is right. That you cannot, that the text is right. You shouldn't eat these things. And I thought, brilliant, right? Just to be able to have the capacity to disagree and the encouragement from the rabbinic leaders to say, it hey. It also shows you how tenuous every religious decision is, no mm -hmm. matter how sanctified it is by being in the pages of a book. Right. It could have been the exact opposite. Right, right. And when you study Talmud, right, you learn how that can thing go. <laughs> right. It's not like people say, no, we are going to murder people today. No. No, but they flip things around in right. certain ways that... No, if it was this principle, but if it was that principle. Sure. So that's a different kind of thing. I mean, religions are human. That's right. And I, and I think when you know more about that type of tradition of discussion and debate sur surrounding the text, you Christians then can understand much better their New Testament, particularly the Gospels, right? What... Even, even the epistles, the letters. Like, what's happening here and why are people having this conversation? Uh, well, you know, what are they arguing about Sabbath? Well, how do you keep it? Right? And there's a point in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, what, what are you supposed to do if it's the eighth day and you need to circumcise your son, but it's also Shabbat? So which commandment are you going to break? Because you're going to break one of them. Right? You're, one is going to supersede the others. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, and he uses the analogy too. Like if which one of you, if your donkey falls into a pit on on Sabbath, you're going to pull the donkey out, right? So, but that's a lot of work. So how do you kind of negotiate those things? And for this life is, and for health and for 
absolutely yeah, pain to animals. But that's but that's a rabbinic choice. That's a yoke, right? That's an interpretation to say we're interpreting this in in honor. Well, so you can't light a fire in your habitations on Shabbat, but they do fires in the temple on Shabbat, right? And right. specifically extra ones for Shabbat, right? Right. So uh, because that's not your habitation, that's another precinct all together. Well, and today candles are lit. And well, they're not lit on the Shabbat. They're, no, li- they're just allowed to before. burn in. Right. Burn into Shabbat, yeah. The um, so you mentioned doing a circumcision on Shabbat. So the eighth day overrides the the commandment to do the circumcision on the eighth day overrides the Shabbat because it's another positive pro- uh, right. command. But what overrides it would be any danger to life. So if there is a danger to life, you delay the circumcision until that danger is passed. Um, now. In the same, but weren't there rabbis that would like agree and disagree and debate over all of that before they'd arrive at whatever? By the time they wrote it down, they all agreed. <laughs> okay. On that one, at least. On that one, at least, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, but the other question was like Yom Kippur. Hmm. So, mm. since, since festivals are less strict than right. Shabbat, you say, okay, what about Passover? Well, mm. if you can do it on Shabbat, how much the more so you can do it on Passover? But Yom Kippur is stricter than Shabbat. Right. So the question is, can right. you do it? And the answer, what became, yes, it even overrides Yom Kippur. Wow. So now here's the thing. The moil, the circumciser, right? Can he, does he have to fast on Yom Kippur if, if he's, he's going to be doing a circumcision? <laughs> yeah. Should, should his hands tremble at all from a little bit of hunger and thirst? That's right. And so in that discussion, <laughs> yeah. there was, there were people on, on both sides of the issue. Sure. But since I always go by the most lenient of the of, of strict mm-hmm. constitutionalists, as it were, um, I, I allowed the the moral not to fast on this one uh, brood right. that we did on Yom Kippur. Wow! And so part, and then we also have a uh, you know a drinking wine. But who drinks the wine? And and the answer is nobody would in an Orthodox context. But since the mother is not allowed right. to fast. Because she's nursing. She's, she's nursing and yeah. she's a brand new mother. Um, so had her drink the wine. Nice. So anyway, the, the, the moral did fast anyway. He wanted to see if he could do it. Oh, jeez. But I, it, was, it was up to, you know, right. it was his choice. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we got to all of this discussion about interpretation and all of that because we were going back to um, how you have opened the door for your kids. Yep. And others, and I think um, as much as you want to say that it's accidental, and for sure, there's always those aspects of things that we just simply can't control, or or we've we've done the opposite that we would have done if we could have go back and fix it again, but somehow it's all worked out okay in the end. I still want to. There's a many times where Jesus talks about you can tell a tree by its fruit, and. I, I like the imagery, right? You're, you're not going to go to a tree, and to an apple tree, and expect grapes. That doesn't make any sense. You have to expect that this type of tree will produce the right type of fruit. And if the tree doesn't produce the right type of fruit, or it produces rotten fruit, or whatever, then that there's something wrong with the tree, right? You can't continue to do that. So I just want to go back to, again, I'm going to be the outside one bragging in. And also as somebody that wants to think about how I raise my kids, you have good good fruit and you judge a tree by its fruit 
Well, you you guys raise your, your kids pretty well too. There's We're a, learning. So there is an Aramaic phrase to that effect. Oh yeah. It's in the Talmud, and it means a pumpkin can be told by its leaves. Huh. Botsina mikaneyedia. Hmm. Uh, you can tell a pumpkin by its leaves. Okay. That is, even before the fruit begins to form, you can tell by the health of the leaves what kind of fruit it's going to make. Hmm. And and so leaves are mundane. You know, mm-hmm. fruit is right. fancy. Right. And so if your mundane life right. is is good and solid and looks healthy, then your fancy life yeah. will, you know, your descendants will come out of that looking as green and healthy. Hmm. So the pumpkin is not just known by the by the fruit itself. That by the leaves that it have. Right. So that's nice. Well, and yeah. So I wanted to tell you three three other incidents with a with a circumcision. Yes, please. So <laughs> so I told you I did one. You know, I've done it on Shabbat. Right. And I've done it on Yom Kippur. And uh, and so the only time that the father turned green and fainted was when we did it on festivals. Really? Yeah, I've only done one for each festival hmm. in all the years I've been a rabbi. And the first one was Shabuot, Pentecost, and we did it in a synagogue in Cincinnati. And um, the father turns green and falls to the floor. And I go, and that was weird. I never really knew that they would turn green. You know, <laughs> he, he turns green watching the circumcision. Right. So usually it's the mother that turns green. But uh, the father did. <laughs> and then the next one was Passover, and the father turned green again wow. and fell to the floor. And the last one, it's about, uh, wow, I guess it's uh, 19, 20 years now. Wow. was on Sukkot. And, and then we were Which doing... Which is the festival of tabernacles or booths. Yeah, like booths. For, yep. and, uh, and so we're standing around in the kitchen, and they have a big island in the kitchen, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where the circumcision was taking place. That's <laughs> a bad image in my head. <laughs> well, yeah, but the thing is, you want to go where there's the most light, and sure. you a skylight. <laughs> yeah. right? No, so, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> very practical thing, right? Yeah. That's why you do them in the daytime instead of in the nighttime. Sure. Oh, well, I guess he... <laughs> Move that candle over, would you? No, but... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, anyway, so we got to the point where it starts, the oil starts to cut, Father not only turns green and falls, but he smacks his chin on the island Ouch. in the kitchen on the way down. Oh dear! And so it starts bleeding everywhere. He hadn't, he didn't break his chin or anything. Right. Thank God. But you know, there's blood on the baby and there's blood oh, on my the dad. <laughs> wow. And at the end, we said, "Okay, and there's locks and bagels over there. Just don't bleed on anything." So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Everyone was okay. Everybody was okay, yeah, but I just I just thought it was kind of funny that I did three circumcisions on festivals, and in all three cases, all three. the father the turns father. green. <laughs> so that's gonna be your your. If anyone asks you again in the future, you're gonna say, "Well, just so you know, if it's on a festival, this is <laughs> pretty right. much the guarantee. The father will faint." Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's very funny. I you know haven't done for a while, but. <laughs> But anyway, it's good to be back. And while I was in the hospital, I got very close to uh, prayer f- 
that we say for the health of the body. And it boils down to you created us, God, with pores and empty spaces. And if one of them was open, that should be closed. Or if one of them were closed, it should be open. We wouldn't be able to stand here and praise you. And since that was exactly what I was dealing with, right. both from the point of view of my air passageways with right. tracheotomy and my intubations, and then the bleeding internally due to a shredded artery. Right. That yeah. One they couldn't even fix, they just tied it off, and one they fixed. And uh, just things. And, and yesterday, this, this past week, I finally got the last tubes out of my body. This, yeah, they since went in May. Since, since May, May. Since like May right. 15th. And now it is August 10th. So we get to praise God again for giving us yep. openings in our bodies and for making sure that all the right things are working. That's and right. it can sound like, I think to you know kids or even adults that are kid-like, um, what a funny prayer. Thank you, God, for giving me the openings in my bodies, right? In my body. But if one of those things isn't working, life is pretty awful. If that's that's basically when you die. Right. When they stop working. When they start working, yeah. And we need all of those things that God has put and fashioned into being to work the way they're supposed to. Well, and also, you know, talking about child raising, mm -hmm. God put passageways, gateways mm. within us. Mm-hmm. And we can close them off, right? And not accept what they're giving. Yeah. And we can keep them open when they're in full rebellion, so that the storm passes through us. I like that. So. There's a passage in the book of Ephesians where the apostle Paul tells fathers, "Please do not exasperate your children." So it's a it's a good rabbi thing to say. It's a, it's a good. <laughs> Mom and Dad things right. in Parents Magazine. I can see it. <laughs> right. Do not exasperate your children. It's good. It's good word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Ari, um, I'm glad you're back. Thanks. It's good to be back. Amen. We spent a lot of time praying for you, and so I'm really, I'm just glad my friend's back. If so I